we're back. We're back. Zeal's back. You know, I was gone last week, as we just discussed. Um, a lot of you ladies were gone last week. What a blessing. Not because you were gone, but for the reason that you were gone. I'm just, let me just get, I know that came out weird. Um, but, you know, a lot of you ladies were gone. Uh, some of y'all would have been like, yeah, thank God. Yeah. Um, but uh, for those of you who don't know, who weren't aware, and for those of you who were here last week, and you're like, oh, what gives? Where's all the, where are all the women? Um, a lot of the girls, a lot of the women, a lot of the ladies, they were at a retreat. The Core Women L- Okay, there you go. Core Women LA had a retreat this past weekend, so many of those you ladies were up there for that. I was up there, not that I attended, but you know, like I helped set up and then I helped break down and all that stuff. And and last week I wasn't here because I was on baby duty, so that my wife could go to the retreat as well. So I was watching my kids. Yes, my wife went. It was great. Um, I wanted her to go so badly. I like, I mean, I had no choice anyway. Pastor Steve was just like, we're having a women's retreat and you're on baby duty. So I was like, all right, all right, I guess, okay, I have no choice. But I, wa- I really wanted her to go and I really wanted a lot of you ladies to go because one thing that I know about retreats is that you often leave the retreat with just a greater sense of, of, of your purpose in Christ. Like, you're just like, man, you're so, it's so clear. Uh, you have a renewed and refreshed desire and devotion to the Lord. Uh, you just want more of him after a retreat usually, and, and you want less of whatever isn't him when you, when you go to a retreat. It's a glorious thing. Um, and as I was thinking about and preparing for tonight, you know, the first week back after after that week off for me, um, I just had a strong sense that we weren't going to be back in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Some of you may know or may not know, we're currently in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. We haven't been in the the Gospel of Matthew for a while. Last week, Pastor John was here. The week before, we we had a Good Friday service. So we haven't been there in in a while. But I kept getting this recurring idea uh, in my mind that tonight, is, to, is supposed to be about like refocusing, like just, just refocusing. We need to center ourselves again. We need, to, we need to get our eyes and our minds focused on the right thing, the only thing that matters. You know? and, and it checks out that this would be the theme for tonight, considering you know, what many of you ladies just did this past weekend. You, know, you went to a retreat, and I'm sure you got refocused. You got, you got recentered. In Christ, you know, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm more than certain that many of you were encouraged to, to stand firm, to continue standing firm in the Lord. And so as we get into the night, um, the title of tonight's message, for those of you that are taking notes, is Fix Your Gaze. Fix Your Gaze. And tonight we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, please open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Um, but before we get into our message, uh, many of you know that I like to share uh, music with you all. I, I quite often either I'll play a song or I will recite some lyrics for you. Um, music is such an amazing gift that, that God has given to us, to humanity. Like, music is amazing. It's, it's crazy. Like, you can, you can hear a note and it'll take you back to, like, a thing, you know, like not even a whole song, just a note. You know, sometimes I see these things on, um, on, on social media where like they'll just play like a chord and, and they're like, I know what you're going to be thinking once I play this chord and like, sure enough, like, oh snap, like that took me back to sixth grade, like some emo song, you know. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, so tonight I wanted to share a song with you all, but it kind of sets the tone for what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, some of you may know this, this song, but um, as it plays, I just, you know, want you guys to, to pay attention to the words, like listen to the words, the lyrics are going to be up. So just pay attention and just kind of get a grasp for what the song is talking about. And then we'll get into tonight's message. So go ahead and we'll play the video. All right. Now, uh, this isn't for you guys. For those of you who'll, who will be watching this message later on YouTube, <laughs> uh, because we don't want to get flagged or the video get taken down because we played a song without getting the license, um, this is what the words say. And this is for y'all as well. This is what the words say. It says, when my heart is weary, when my soul is weak, when it seems I can't traverse the trail before me, I survey the glory of your agony, and I find the will to fight for what's before me because you ran the race, enduring for your glory. I fix my eyes on you, the founder and the finisher of my faith. I fix my eyes on you. The solace in your suffering is my strength. And as I fight to follow, you are my righteous guide, and you train me to delight in all that's holy. Heal my broken body, cure my crooked stride. I throw off every weight and sin that clings so closely. I will run the race, enduring for your glory. You help me breathe. You're the only life I need. You died for me. You are the only life I need. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity and the ability, God, to, to be here tonight, to meet with your people, to hear from your word, uh, to be spoken to by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that you would baptize me uh, so that I can use this gift of teaching to minister to your people and maybe... Maybe some of your people here tonight are, are a little far away right now, and, and I just pray f that you would speak. If you don't speak, Holy Spirit, I'm up here doing nothing. I'm wasting my breath. And so I pray that you would speak tonight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I hope you all have already opened up to Proverbs chapter 4. So let's read our verses for tonight. It's going to be Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27 is what it says. It says, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. So for those of you who may not be aware, uh, the person who wrote uh, the Proverbs mostly was uh, Solomon, King Solomon. He was the, the son of King David. Many of you are familiar with David. At, at, I mean, at, at the most elementary level, people know who David is. David and Goliath, he, he beat the giant. And so Solomon, before taking over the kingdom from after his, his father David, um, I mean, David was Israel's greatest king. Um, he was, you know, obviously kind of like shook, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? But before he became king, the Lord gave him an opportunity. He said, hey, ask of me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, I need wisdom. I need wisdom. I need discernment so that I can, I can rule over your people justly. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. And so God gave Solomon great wisdom. You know, there, there's no human in history that has ever been or ever will be as wise as King Solomon. 
And this is the man who wrote the majority of this book of Proverbs. And Solomon is telling his son, he's saying, son, pay attention. Pay attention to my words. Pay attention to the wisdom. This wisdom that I'm about to give you is life. It's health for your body. And this isn't just wisdom for Solomon's sons either. It's wisdom and it's life and it's health for us too, especially for us believers. We would do well to pay attention uh, you know, to, to these, these wise sayings. So in his great wisdom, Solomon's, Solomon tells us, guard your hearts. He says, guard your hearts above all else because your hearts are the source of life. Other more literal translations, they, they word it, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. You know, there is a spring of life flowing from within us, from within our hearts. And, and if, if y'all have not realized that that has been the theme for our Friday nights going through the word, you, you haven't been paying attention. You know, going back to when we were talking about being the salt of the earth, we saw in 2 Kings chapter 2, when Elisha took over as, as the main prophet of God, the people of Jericho, they came to Elisha and they told him that the, the, the well, the spring of water that was in Jericho, it was no good. You know, it, it, it wasn't producing any life out in the field. So Elisha, he tells them to bring him some salt in a brand new container. And so he threw some salt, Elisha threw some salt into the spring that was not producing life. And he declared, this is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. No longer will death or unfruitfulness result from it. And the water was changed that day. The water was changed that day, that very moment. That spring of water that had no life in it, it became a spring of life-giving water. And so it is with us. Our hearts, they are dead. We are born with dead hearts. Our lives are, are full of death because of our sin. We have no fruit in our lives. Our lives are producing nothing because our hearts are dead. But Jesus, he comes to us. He comes to us and he sprinkles the salt of the new covenant on us. And what was once a dead and a sick heart, a polluted spring of water, just like in Jericho, it transforms and regenerates into a spring of living water. That's what Jesus said would happen if we believed in him, if we believed in the gospel. Life would flow from us because we have been forgiven and saved and, and now we, we are going to heaven. We are holy enough to, to go to heaven based on the holiness of Christ. And so now, now that we have these new hearts that are full of life, we need to guard them. We need to guard these hearts. We need to watch over them with all diligence. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the source of life. But guard your heart from what? Guard it from sin. Guard it from temptation. From any and all things that would turn your hearts away from devotion and love towards your Father in heaven. I was talking to a brother the other week, and he was asking me to pray for his sons. He said, you know, and one of his sons in particular, he told me, you know, like he's, he's made a profession of faith. He, he believes in Jesus, but he was telling me that lately he's been getting caught up and obsessed with video games. Like he's just playing video games. All of his free time is, is just being devoted to video games. He's not going to church. He's not really reading his Bible. Now, I'm, I'm not going to make any judgment regarding this, this young man's salvation, but I will say this. 
What do you think is his main focus and concern in life if that's how he spends all of his free time, if he spends all of his time playing video games? What would you say he loves and worships considering how he chooses to spend his time? He may say that he loves Jesus, that he believes in Jesus, that he follows Jesus, but what do his actions reveal about the condition of his heart? And what do his actions reveal regarding the object, the actual object of his affection? What does he actually love? And it may not be video games for you, but what is it for you? What is it for you? What is it in your life that is taking bandwidth away from the Lord? I mean, I'm not up here advocating for a a monk lifestyle where you just sit in a room in silence and, and all you do is read and meditate on God's word. That's not practical, nor is it realistic. But we all know when things are beginning to take over our lives. We all know when we're putting the Lord second in our lives. This is the only time where quoting Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights would make sense in a church setting. If God is not first, he's what? He's last. We need to guard our hearts above all else because now that we are saved, born-again believers, our hearts are the wellsprings of life. If we don't guard them, they will get polluted. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 25, verse 26. It says, a righteous person, that's you and me, those of us who believe in Jesus, we are righteous. A righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddied spring or a polluted well. When we yield to these things, when we, when we yield to these sinful things, when we yield to things that aren't necessarily sinful, but when they push God out of the number one spot, well, now they're idols and they are sinful. When we yield to these things in our lives, our wellspring of life, the flowing rivers of living water that are flowing from within us, they get muddied and they get polluted Muddied springs and polluted wells are worthless. They're worthless, just like in 2 Kings. They don't produce life. They have the potential for life, but there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with them. And that is us. That is us when we yield to sinful things and idols in our lives. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us. And though we have the potential for life, because we've become muddied and polluted, there is no life. Anyone feeling lifeless right now? Anyone feeling dry or numb or just blah? Even though you technically have the life of Christ within you, what have you allowed to muddy your spring? What have you allowed to pollute your well? What sin, what distraction, what, what thing that isn't necessarily sinful, but you've allowed it to take over, and now it's an idol and it is sinful. What have you allowed? Going back to Proverbs chapter four, verse 24, it goes on to say, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. This verse is straightforward. It's very straightforward. You know, there's no need to get into the nooks and the crannies of the words and all that stuff. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Don't be deceitful. Don't be deceitful. Hey, I was storing some, some grape juice in the refrigerator. I had a note on it. and said, please don't drink it. Did you drink it? No, I didn't drink it. With your purple teeth and your purple tongue. Talking about you didn't drink my purple grape juice. 
Not that it happened in real life. I'm just, just a random scenario that I'm throwing out, uh, out there. I'm watching you. But tell the truth. Tell the truth. But let me, let me take this from a different angle. I'm going to take it from a different angle. On one side of the coin, you can lie and say that, you know, you're not doing the wrong thing, but in actuality, you are doing the wrong thing. Like, no, I'm not stealing from my employer. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sexually immoral. No, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not being a drunkard. Yet you are doing those things. You're, you're lying. But on the other side of the coin, you can lie and say that you're doing the right thing, but you're not actually doing the right thing. Namely, specifically, you're telling everyone and you're portraying to everyone that you are a Christian, that you follow Jesus, but the fruit of your life, it reveals that you are lying, that you're lying. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips speak deviously. If you are claiming to walk with the Lord, then walk with the Lord, do it. If you're claiming to believe in Jesus, and if you're claiming that you follow Jesus, then do it. Do it. There are implications to the faith that we profess in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus, there are implications, there are results from that faith in Jesus. That's why I don't know if you've noticed lately, but from this point forward, if, you, if you're a regular attendee of Zeal Young Adults, you're, you're going to hear me talk about the implications of what it means to believe in Jesus when, when I throw out an invitation to those to, uh, to make a profession of faith in Christ. You're going to hear that because I don't want anyone to be unaware of what it means to believe in Jesus. So often people get told about the good news of Jesus Christ and it's great. It's a great thing because they get an opportunity to profess faith and, and be uh, invited into the kingdom. And, and when they receive the free gift of salvation, they are in the kingdom. It's a great thing, but they're not told what it actually means. It's not just a get out of hell free card. That's not what this is. You, you, don't, get, you, know, you don't get your golden ticket and then nothing happens and nothing changes. Believing in Jesus it means that you, now you believe in his word. He is the word. Believing in Jesus, it means that you repent. You change your mind about your sin. That doesn't mean that all of your simple, sinful behaviors are gonna change right away in an instant, but there will be a gradual change and a separation from your sin taking place in your life as you learn and you believe more in his word. Believing in Jesus means you're gonna make yourself a part of the church. You're gonna become a part of the church and you're going to put yourself under shepherds that God has called to fulfill that role of a shepherd. Believing in Jesus means that you are going to fulfill a duty within the church. Doing the work of an evangelist, perhaps, if you have that gift. Praying for people. Teaching others. Serving in whatever area of need the local church may have. And especially if you've been gifted in a very specific way. Believing in Jesus means that you have become a disciple a student of Jesus. And you're going to spend the rest of your life getting taught by Jesus through your time in the word, through your time gathering together with God's people, listening to the word of God being preached and spending time with your brothers and sisters as the word of God is being talked about and proclaimed to each other. And it will all be based on the Bible. It will all be based on the word of God. 
So when you say you are a Christian, that you believe in Jesus, that you have faith in Jesus, that you trust in Jesus, whatever vernacular you want to use, that's what it means. That's what it means. That being said, is your mouth speaking dishonestly? Is your mouth speaking dishonestly? Are your lips talking deviously when you claim to be a Christian? Is there evidence in your life that you are indeed a Christian? I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about being perfect. We all got stuff. We all have issues. We all have things that are getting worked on. We're all under construction until the day that we die. But when you say that you're a Christian, is there evidence in your life that you are a disciple and you are in a constant state of movement towards God. That movement might be fast right now. That movement might be real slow right now. We all have different seasons. But is there movement? Is there movement away from who you used to be and movement towards God? Are you speaking honestly when you say, I believe in Jesus? Because it's, just, it's not just that you raised your hand at a church service or you repeated a prayer or that you came forward at an altar call, or you get emotional during worship, or you get emotional when there's a really convicting message getting preached and you know, tears are coming down your face. That doesn't matter. True godly sorrow always leads to repentance, and it always leads to a greater zeal for the things of the Lord. So if you got tears coming down your face during worship, you got tears coming down your face when you're here, if it doesn't lead to true repentance, and if it doesn't lead to more zeal for the Lord, those tears are for nothing. And that is the question at hand. Is there zeal for the Lord? Is there movement towards more of him and movement away from whatever is not him? Don't lie. Don't lie when you claim the name of Christ. But don't hear what I just said and then think to yourself, well, I guess I just better st stop telling people that I'm a Christian. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, my fruit doesn't match the claim. So I guess I'm not going to claim the name of Christ anymore. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just make the change. Make the change. Repent. You, you, you have the ability to make the change now. You can make the change. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Maybe you've just muddied up the spring or you've polluted the well. But you have the power to turn and you have the power to repent. There's no shame with the Lord. There's no, there's no reason to be ashamed in the Lord's presence. Psalm 86, verse 5, it says, For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. He is ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. The Hebrew word there, I don't expect you to remember it because I'm going to forget it too, is salak, salak. And what that means is he's ready to forgive, but it also carries the meaning of that, that he's placable. He's placable. I'd never heard that word before, but it's an archaic word. And what it means is that he is easily calmed. He's easily calmed. It is easy to calm God. That's his character. It's, it's, it's easy to calm his wrath down. Not because he's easy, easy to manipulate, not at all, but it's because he is good and he is kind and he is love. 
and because of the work of Jesus Christ getting punished for your sins on your behalf on that cross, his wrath is easily calmed because, and, and, and he is ready to forgive because all of his wrath has already been poured out on his one and only son on that cross. There's nothing left. There's no wrath left to give if you believe in Jesus. He is easy to be calm. So don't get caught up in the shame or the condemnation. Make the change and repent. Romans 2.4, it tells us that God's intention for us is repentance. He wants us to repent. He's on our side. He, he wants us to repent. And the way that he, he accomplishes this, the way, the way that it all started of making repentance and salvation available for us was through his kindness towards us. That's what Romans 2.4 tells us, his kindness. If, if that's how it starts, then that's how it's going to continue to be. God's kindness is going to be there forever for you if you're born again. God is for you. He wants you to live a life that glorifies him. He doesn't want you to wallow as a muddied spring or a polluted well. His desire, his desire is for you to be life-giving and life-containing. So don't stay stuck and decide that you're just going to, you know, give up claiming the name of Jesus or, or you're going to be less vocal about your faith. No, no, no. Don't, don't change the claim that you're making. Change the aim of your life. Don't change the claim. Change the aim. Check one, two. I'm going to keep doing that. Change the behavior. Change your behavior. Change your focus. You have the power to do that. And with that said, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to read verses 25 through 27. It says this. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Did I do right, left? I did it wrong. I said right, and then I said left. I have trouble with my rights and my lefts sometimes. But anyway, sorry, just distracted me a little bit. <laughs> um, but you guys, I've entitled this message, Fix Your Gaze, right? So fix your gaze straight ahead, like we just read. Look, let your eyes look forward. Look carefully at where you're walking. Don't get sidetracked. Don't, don't, don't veer to the left. Don't veer to the right. Just, just keep walking straight. This is intentional. This is an intentional thing. This isn't something that just happens. This is a thoughtful and intentional. I am making a conscious decision to keep myself looking and walking straight. Eventually, when we get to Matthew chapter 7, we will get there, I promise you. But we're going to read about when Jesus said to enter through the narrow gate. He said, enter to the narrow gate. And he says that the road that leads to this narrow gate is difficult. It's a difficult road. Walk down that difficult road in a straight line is what we're reading. Walk down that, that difficult road in a straight line. Watch where your feet are stepping. Watch where you're stepping. Don't get off the road even a little bit. And keep looking ahead. Keep fixing your gaze straight ahead towards that narrow gate that you are walking towards. Because that gate will lead to life. It will lead to life if you do those things. In verse 26 of Proverbs 4, it essentially says the same thing. It says that all of your ways will be established. 
all of your ways will be established. What that means is that the road that you are traveling on, it will be secure. It will be a secure road. The path and the direction that you are traveling on will be firm. It will be stable. Jesus said that the road to the narrow gate is difficult. But if you would just watch where you're walking, be careful about where you're walking, be careful about where your steps are going. If you are careful about that, if you stay focused on that narrow gate that's in front of you, if you don't go to the right or the left, but rather you keep going straight, you're keeping away from evil, you're keeping away from the distractions that will turn into idols. If you fix your gaze straight ahead, though the road will be difficult, because Jesus said it will be, your path can still feel and be secure and stable and firm. Additionally, the implication is that if if you are keeping on the straight road, fixing your gaze straight ahead and you're watching your steps, your behavior, your moral character, your manner of being and your way of life, it will be secure and stable as well. Earlier in the message, I asked if anyone is feeling lifeless or dry or numb or blah, even though you have Christ inside of you. Well, in a similar vein, Does anyone feel like their life is unstable? Does anyone feel like the road that they're walking on is unstable? Like there's uncertainty, there's insecurity in your walk. Is there a lack of assurance? Is is your walk with Christ unsteady? You're leaning to the right or to the left, but God is telling you that you need to walk straight. You need to walk straight. You need to fix your gaze straight ahead. Like that song that we listened to. We need to fix our eyes on him. There's so much beauty in the words of that song. That's why I wanted to share it with y'all. We need to fight to follow him. We need to fight to follow him. He is our righteous guide. And he wants to teach us to delight in things that are holy. That's why he gave us his word. And that's why he gave us the body, our brothers and sisters, our pastors and our teachers. We need to throw off every weight, every weight, that weighs us down, every weight from us, especially the sin that, that clings so closely to us. We need to fix our eyes on him and we need to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. The path is difficult, Jesus said, but the path can be, and it can feel secure and stable in spite of the difficulty if we would just fix our gaze ahead and watch where we walk. And as we look straight ahead, this path will be straight if we would just trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and we don't rely on our own understanding. Don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on your own thought processes and your own understandings. Trust and rely on him and his word. Meditate on his word. Delight in his word. Know his word. Because what happens when you do that? What does it say in Psalm 1? It says that your leaf will not wither and you will bear fruit. You will be fruitful and whatever you do will prosper. Why? Because when you do that, when you meditate on the word, when you delight in his word, when you know his word, you're gonna be like a tree planted by streams of water. You're always gonna have nourishment. You will be constantly nourished. And please don't get it twisted. 
When the word says that whatever you do will prosper, that doesn't mean monetary success. It doesn't mean financial success. This is, the Bible is not a business book, all right? It's not a book about uh, doubling your profits and scaling your business, reaching a higher echelon in your career. This is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. You really think that God wants you to meditate on his word, to delight in his word, to know his word so that he can bless your business, so that he can bless your side hustle, so that he can you know, bless your career, so that he can reach this level? Man looks on the outside. The Lord always looks at the heart. Always. Don't be concerned about chasing money, chasing all of these things. You know, as, as the kids say, don't be concerned about chasing a bag while, while, you're, while you're pursuing the Lord. Don't be worried about those things. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34. He says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? The Gentiles, they eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. All these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So the road that leads to life, it's difficult. It's a difficult road. But if we trust in the Lord with everything that we have, and if we, if we know him, the difficult road will be straight. It will be straight. And if, and if we watch where we step, and if we keep our gaze fixed straight ahead, this difficult road, it will be stable. It will be secure, though it may not appear to be so. It will be. And if we meditate, if we meditate on the word, if we love the word, if we delight on the word, if we focus on the word, our time on this difficult road, it will be spiritually prosperous and it will be spiritually fruitful regardless of the difficulty. And if we first seek him and his righteousness, we will have everything that we could possibly need while we are traveling on this very difficult road that leads to life. And what's the common denominator in all of this? It's the Lord. It's his word. And, and by implication, the, the turning away from and the avoidance of evil, of sin, of idols. So we need to refocus. We need to recalibrate. Realign our lives to be about the Lord and his word and living for him. Don't get distracted, you guys. Don't get distracted. Don't lose focus. There are some of you in here, might be uncomfortable for, for some of you, but there are some of you in here who you've entered into a relationship, right? You've, you found somebody. You know, you're, you're intentionally seeking marriage and you're waiting on the Lord to confirm if this person is the one that you're to marry, right? Or, or some of you may already, you've already used, no, I've already, I've already got confirmation. This is the one, right? And that, that's amazing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Trust me. But don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by that relationship. Don't lose focus. Don't change who you are in Christ. Don't change who you are. Don't be a different brother or sister just because you're now in this relationship. Why, why are you coming here? 
Why are you gathering together with God's people? And, and why were you gathering together with God's people before this relationship came? You used to be a living, breathing person who existed as, as a single unit. But now that you're in this relationship, you can still exist as a living, breathing person, as, as a single unit. It's okay. Your ability to function doesn't depend on this other person being attached to you. Your ability to converse with other people doesn't depend on this other person. Your ability to pray for your brothers and sisters doesn't depend on this other person. Showing up and fellowshipping with the body of Christ, be it here on a Friday or on a Sunday or whenever there's a gathering, it doesn't depend on this other person. Trust me. Trust me. I know it's exciting. It's exciting. Those of you who are in relationships, it's exciting. I know it. I, I've, it's, it's, it's exciting getting to know a person, falling in love with a person, realizing, oh, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. I've known my wife for over 10 years at this point, and then I still get excited to go home and see her. Like, she's like I, I can't wait to get home. You know, so I always try to kick you guys out. But like, I just, <laughs> no, but like, I can't wait. And, and now even more so, now that we have kids, it's like, dude, I just, oh, I, I get it. Trust me, I get it. The, the excitement and the desire, it doesn't go away if you're doing it right. You know, it, it doesn't go away. But don't be those weirdos for those of you in relationships. Don't be those weirdos who, who, who they, they can't seem to function apart from each other. And don't be those people that though you're at the event or you're at church, you're at the gathering, you're still kind of not because you're off in the corner whispering sweet nothings to each other like, why are you here? You're not even here. And similarly, as a whole, I'm not just going to pick on people in relationships. <laughs> similarly, as a whole, as the body of Christ, as individual members of the body of Christ, don't inadvertently start developing your own little corners where you come to the gatherings, you come to zeal, you come to church on Sundays, you come to wherever, you come to any of the gatherings, and you always just end up with the same people. You're always just, you're, you, got your, you got your crew, that you're always just with those people. I've seen these things over the years, and I get it. I get it because, you know, there are certain people that you just, you just get along with, Right? You get along with certain people. You know you get along with certain people. So anytime you, you, you get together with everybody, you just want to be with the person that you already know you get along with. I get it. But this is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. Jesus said the world will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love each other, the way that we show love to each other. So this ought to be the place. This ought to be a place where it is obvious that we are all on the same team. We're all on the same team. It's not like, oh, yeah, yeah I, I get along with everybody, and I'm cool with everybody except for them, not them. No, stop that. And I mean, honestly, look, I'm, I'm, I truly believe, and I was talking to the leaders earlier, that that's, that's one thing that has drawn so many people to this this group on Friday nights. It's the, the fellowship, the, the, the family atmosphere, the welcoming atmosphere. Emma, 
What, what, what happened the first night you showed up, Emma? Say it loud. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning, that, that's, that's what drew many, that people showed up for the first time and immediately they knew everybody. I mean, sure, there's only like 15 people here, but still, like, <laughs> but as the group continued to grow, that continued. It continued. And that's the comment that kept coming out is like, Man, I've been to other churches. I've been to other, you know, young adult things. It always just feels like there's click here, click there, click over there. And like, it's not like that here. That, that's, that's us. That's family. That's the welcoming atmosphere. That's the sense. Amen. That's the sense that there are no in crowds. There are no cool kids or any of that nonsense here. There's none of that. This is the body of Christ. This is the body and I'm about to challenge y'all even more, I'm sorry, but if, if zeal, if this, if this is like your, if this is your spot, like you've decided like, no, Friday nights, I'm, I'm at zeal. Like this is what I do. I, I am a regular at zeal. If you enjoy coming to this place, if you love coming to this place, this is your ministry as well. This is your ministry. It's not just, it's not just, just cause I'm the pastor and the teacher over this ministry doesn't mean that it's mine. no, no. This is, if, if you call this place home, this is your ministry. So you all also need to be out there maintaining that atmosphere of family and welcoming. And everybody's in the in crowd because this is the body of Christ. Everybody needs to feel that love. So if this is your spot, if you call zeal home, hey, it's your responsibility too. It's not just, oh, well, no, the... the pastor will take care of that. The leaders will take care No, no, no. If this is your home, hey, it's your responsibility to provide that. Show that love. If you see somebody who doesn't look familiar, walk up to them. Why don't you look familiar? You don't, you don't have to look angry. Like, you know, you don't, you don't have to look like you're, you're trying to, you know, what you got? You know, no, like, where you from? Home? So none, none of that. Like, just, just like, yo, why don't I recognize you? Like, who are, what's your name? And you start to get to know each other. You start to get to know other people. That, that's, that's what we need to do. Pat, pat, and, and, then, and then, you know, that, that's what somebody did for you when you first showed up. So do that to somebody else. Do that for somebody else. Make them feel that love. But back to the main point of all of this. Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. Don't get distracted. Right now is a time where we need to refocus. We need to refocus, especially with you ladies. A lot of y'all went to that retreat. I, I know y'all, when you, come, when you come down from that mountain, you're, you're like, oh, let's go. So y'all are on a high right now. So let, let, let's keep that going. Let's, let's, let's focus. We need to fix our gaze straight ahead. We need to fix our eyes on him. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. We need to carefully watch where our feet are going. What are we getting involved with? What things are we looking at? We need to focus on Jesus. We need to focus on his word. We need to focus on his people. We need to focus on his glory. When we do that, 
when we do those things, this, this difficult road, it won't get any less difficult. Trust me, it will remain difficult, but we'll be better equipped. We'll be better equipped to traverse this trail that is before us. And, and, and because we're gonna be doing it with the power of the Lord. We'll be doing it with, with the grace of the Lord, with the love of the Lord, with the spirit of the Lord. And, and though it will be difficult, we're gonna be equipped to be able to do it. The road will be straight. Our, our road will feel secure and stable, even though it's chaos all around us. Focus. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. God, I just pray that your word spoke. Lord, I pray that your word would continue to speak. And Father, I just want to pray for every single one of us, Lord. Myself included, I am not exempt. I know that. So God, please help us to, to really focus, to refocus on you, to, to recalibrate ourselves and to just fix our eyes and to fix our gaze straight ahead, that we would watch where we're walking, that we would do what needs to be done to remain holy, to remain unstained, to remain unpolluted, to remain unmuddied. And Lord, right now I want to give an opportunity. I want to give an opportunity for anybody in here to make a profession of faith in Jesus. We have some new people, but we also have people who've been coming. One thing I've learned being in a part of a church for, for a while is that not everybody who, who, who regularly comes to church actually believes. And so I just want to provide an opportunity for anybody in here to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, to, to, to believe in the gospel of Jesus, for the Holy Spirit to come down and, and, and live inside of you as a result of that faith in the gospel and, and a result of the Holy Spirit living inside of you that's a result of your faith in the gospel would be that your life is changing. You have the power to repent. You have the power to live holy because prior to, to being a new creature in Christ, you were a slave to your sin. And so if there's anybody in here who wants to make a profession of faith in Jesus because you've never made a profession of faith in Jesus before or you thought that you have made a profession of faith in Jesus but you're realizing that your life, it doesn't match. It doesn't match the, the claim that you are making. Then I wanna invite you to raise your hand so, we can, so everybody in here can pray for you. Anybody? Father, I just thank you so much for this time. God, I pray that you would be pleased by the songs that we sing. And God, I just pray that this word really would change us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.